Father God, um, we just thank you so much that you have made yourself known. Uh, we thank you for your word, uh, your precious word uh, that reveals uh, your great unfolding plan, a uh, plan of hope, hope and life and light uh, for this dark world. Um, thank you for the psalm we're going to look at today um, uh, from Israel's songbook from uh, 3,000 years ago or so. Thank you for um, just the wonderful truths we can learn about there. We just pray that you would soften our hearts by your spirit, that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, that you would do whatever work you intend through your word today um, and be glorified as a result of your work in us. Uh, we praise you and thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. For you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favour to her. The appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you, will, you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Um, this thought may fill you with either dread or real excitement 
maybe somewhere in between, but it's only 30 sleeps until Christmas. Uh, so keep calm, 30, 30 days till Christmas. Um, it's, a, it's a time of uh, real kind of anticipation, right? Either anticipating all the sort of stuff you need to get done between now and then, uh, or uh, probably uh, if you're um, uh, younger, I mean, I remember as a kid, the lead up to Christmas was just this, the one part of the year where it's like this time of longing and it just stretches out forever and you just can't wait for it. It seems to take forever and you kind of, it's the time when you sneak up to the tree and shake the presents if you're allowed to touch them or if you're not, you kind of do the 360 degree assessment of what it is you're going to be getting. Um, It's a time of longing, Christmas, uh, as you kind of look ahead to this. Well, the first Christmas, the first Christmas that... Uh, we're going to be celebrating at carols and reflecting on over the next few weeks. The first Christmas was a time of longing, too. Um, not the kind of longing that I had for my presence. <laughs> Although there's some similarities there, actually. The first Christmas was a gift. Um, it was a gift, but it was a gift given into a situation of real deep darkness. Real and deep darkness, which made, actually made the gift all the more precious. Um, Steve's mentioned over the next few weeks we're going to be reflecting on um, some psalms from the, from the book of Psalms uh, in the Bible, from um, the song book of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We're going to focus, uh, in coming weeks, we're going to focus on a cluster of psalms between Psalm 95 and 98 uh, that are kind of traditionally used around Christmas time. Um, so we'll focus in on those, but, uh, that, and, and what those psalms will show us is a picture of real joy, uh, a picture of real joy at the news of the coming of the Lord and the news that Christmas can bring. Um, so stay tuned for that. But today what we're going to do is we're looking at a, a really different kind of psalm, and you probably picked that up as we read through. Um, it's a psalm of real longing. And friends, if we're going to move past a kind of just a, you know, a shallow enjoyment of Christmas, um, if we're going to have a joy this Christmas time that is, has a reality to it and a richness to it and a depth to it, then we, act, we need to hear the message of this psalm. Um, but even for those actually of us who just don't enjoy Christmas, we need this psalm too. It might be for you that Christmas is actually a time of deep sadness and struggle for a whole host of different reasons. Uh, it is for many people. Um, the news of Jesus that Christmas brings, it doesn't kind of just paper over life's hardship. Um, it doesn't ask us just to put on a happy face and pretend to be happy at Christmas time. Christmas comes into dark places. The light of Christmas shines into a dark world Um, and the degree to which you know that and acknowledge that and can feel that is the degree to which you'll be able to sing joy to the world with a reality and a meaning that you couldn't get anywhere else. Well, the writer of this psalm knew that darkness the writer knew that kind of darkness. We get it in the, the start, the very start of the psalm. It's not um, in the kind of main section, but it is part of the original um, psalm. The, uh, the, you can read it up there, and if, it's in, if you've got your Bibles open, you can read it too. Um, the writer of this psalm knew that darkness 
It's written, it's a prayer of an afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. Um, Here is someone who has known real hardship. Uh, He's someone who's who's got nothing left in the tank. (laughs) He's grown weak. He's got nothing. He's just, just, he's empty. Uh, But whatever he does have, uh, he pours it out. He pours it out to God. Um, Do you notice, it it is a prayer though. It's not just this, he's not just venting. He's not just taking the opportunity to just get get it all off his chest. Um, This is a very different kind of thing. He, he, He does pour out his heart, his soul, but he pours it out to the one who he knows can do something. It is a cry, it's a, a plea for help. Um, but there's more going on, actually, um, as, you, as we jump into this psalm. There's more going on than that. Um, it's not just, this guy isn't just weak because of his own situation, and we'll read through that, and it is kind of fairly gruelling read, the first half of the psalm. We'll get to that in a moment. But as you read through, as you keep going through the psalm, you, you find out that he's got his eye on actually a bigger picture than just his own troubles. Um, he is concerned with them, of course, but he's also concerned with a, a bigger thing that's going on. He's concerned with the whole people of God. Um, it's written, the psalm was written, as we've mentioned, in, uh, before Jesus came in uh, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, God had given them these incredible promises. He'd promised through the, the founder of Israel, I guess, uh, Abraham, the father of Israel. He'd promised through him that... He would bless the world through Abraham and his offspring. Uh, but the writer looks around at his life, he does look at his own life, and he, but he also looks at, around at the people of God. And it's like this psalm, he's saying, where are you, God? You've given us these incredible promises. That you, you've given us amazing things that you will say will happen through our people, through the people of Israel. And it doesn't look like it at all. And so his, his real personal anguish becomes, it, it expands out as you read through the psalm. It becomes a cry that's kind of on a cosmic level. It's a cry for God to come and act and fulfill his promises. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Um, it, it will be up on the screen, but uh, the formatting isn't great for a poem. So uh, if you want the kind of line-by-line format, Um, open your Bibles. There should be a a bookmark in the church Bible if you've got one at Psalm 102. But let's dive in. Uh, This psalmist writes, this this guy who's in anguish, this is his plea. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me. When I call, answer me quickly. This is his plea, his cry, his prayer to God in his distress. And what follows, as we read on, it's, I, I, it's kind of, I reckon it's one of the most vivid and gut-wrenching depictions of heartache and sorrow that I reckon I've probably ever read, actually. Um, verse 3, For my days... Vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is my heart is blighted 
and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud. I'm reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. For you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Here's someone who is so sick in his heart that... Did you notice that as we read through, it's, it's not just a kind of mental thing or an internal thing, it's, it's affecting his whole body. Uh, he's so sick in his heart. He's lost all his appetites and he's wasting away. He feels isolated, alone, while his enemies are kind of taunting him. Um, not only that, he, notice at the end there, he, um, in verse 10, he sees himself in some way as being caught up in God's wrath, God's great wrath. He's been, it's like this picture of a whirlwind. He's just been picked up and thrown aside. Um, in the Bible, God's wrath is his good and right and settled opposition to everything that is evil, including humanity's sin, including our own rejection of God, including our own pride. And he looks at what he's experiencing and he can only think that in some way he, he's getting swept up in that judgment, in that wrath. So he mourns. He eats ashes. He drinks his tears. And he feels like his life is slipping away from him like an evening shadow. You know, you get the picture of the, the lengthening shadow uh, that you can just see but is just a second away from darkness. He withers like grass. He's here one day. He's gone the next. The writer of this psalm looks at his life and he laments. He cries out. But what happens next is really critical. Um, it's really critical. This is the turning point in the whole psalm. Uh, the writer shifts his eyes. He's been looking down at his life. And that's what he sees. <laughs> He's been looking down at his life, his sorrows and struggle. And at this point, from this point on, he starts to look up. He kind of shifts his gaze. Verse 12. But you... But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You get the real contrast there between how he feels about his own life, the lengthening shadow, the grass that's just withering and about to kind of fade. Um, in contrast to that, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. His life is so fleeting and feeble, but here is one who has life in himself, the one who gives life to all people. 
Um, and not only that, but the one who's the eternal king, who reigns over all people and over all times. Uh, he looks up to the Lord. He looks up to Israel's God, Yahweh. Um, he looks up to the one who has saved them in the past, slaved, saved them out of, from slavery in Egypt, uh, the one who had made them a great nation and had given them incredible promises. And because he knows that God, because he knows what that God has done in the past, he has confidence to come to him about the future. That's what you read as you go on. Verse 13. Well, let's go back to verse 12. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favour to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitutes. He will not despise their plea. See what's going on for this guy. Even, even given the first 11 verses of this psalm, even in this picture of utter darkness, He knows God. He knows God, and he knows that God will act. Um, he knows that God will act, not just for him, but this is where it kind of expands out. He knows that God will act for all of his people. Um, he will show favour to them. He knows that God will act for the whole world. You notice that as you read through, all kings of the earth will revere your glory. There will come a day when God's glory will be known and revered by the world. <laughs> All the kings of the earth. And in a world that's so fleeting, and for this guy who's, who just feels his own instability, his own sort of, it feels like an, a, a, a blade of grass about to be blown away. In that kind of a world, here is a hope. The only hope. A hope that is rock solid. And a hope that rises above any circumstance that he might face. That's why from this point on, um, the writer casts his eye not only up to God, but he casts it forward to the future. Um, he knows that God will act. And so, uh, from this point on, he kind of imagines, he, he imagines a future generation. Uh, he, he knows God is going to act. He imagines this future generation that's going to come after God has acted and that will look back on it. That's what he says in verse 18, um, Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. Uh, he says, write this down so that that generation can read it and reflect on it as they look back. They can reflect on the reality that God has, in fact, acted, that he has looked down, that he has heard the groans of the prisoners that he has freed those condemned to death. Um, he imagines this future generation looking back, seeing God's salvation and praising him for it. Uh, and in verse 22, it's not only the people of Israel, but again, this cosmic vision, all the peoples and kingdoms of the world. 
He knows, that he knows God. He, he looks up to God. He knows that God will act. He has to. Um, he has acted in the past. He's given incredible promises. He knows that God will act. But that future hope doesn't take away his suffering in the present. That's what you get in verse 23. Uh, verse 23, he still says this, In the course of my life he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So this, kind of, this future hope that he has, it doesn't take away his pain. What it does do is it frames his pain. It kind of gives his pain a bigger perspective. It puts it in the biggest picture. And so the psalm finishes with another lament, another kind of cry out to God. But, but this time, you notice the difference to the first half of the psalm. This time he cries out to God, anchored in this hope. Verse 24, So I said, Do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Notice what this guy has done here as he cries out. Not only is God Yahweh, the Lord, who sits enthroned, here he knows him as his God. Do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. And this one who is his God is the one whose years go on through all generations. That's what you read as you, as you keep reading, the one who created all things, who outlasts all things. From verse 26, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. And so you get to the end of this psalm and in the midst of his turmoil, he's in the same situation as he was when he started writing. Okay? It's in the midst of his turmoil, of his lament and his grief, he clings to hope. Um, that's what verse 28 is all about, right at the end of the psalm. He clings to this hope that God will act that God will save, that there will come a day when God's people will live in his presence face to face. Verse 28, the children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. And that is why this psalm is a great psalm to prepare us for Christmas. Um, it's a great sign for Christmas because the news of Christmas is that what this guy looked forward to, what he looked forward to, we look back on. What he looked forward to, we look back on. What he hoped for in the future, we can see has happened in the past. Um, see what's going on here? Actually, we are that future generation the psalmist writes about. We are the future generation who can read this psalm, who can read this and praise God for doing what is promised, for acting, for coming and acting. Uh, we can praise God that he has looked down from his sanctuary on high, that he has heard the groaning of his people, that he has in Jesus come and acted 
but he's not done it in a way that even the writer of the psalm could have ever expected. Um, this one, this Lord who he lifts his eyes to, the one who is enthroned forever. The, Christ, the news of Christmas is that that one, who is so high, himself actually became low. He entered into our darkness. That that one entered into the first half of this psalm in order to lift us out of it. He gave himself up. He let himself be withered like grass. He was alone. He was taunted by his enemies. And on the cross, he bore the great wrath of God against sin in his own body. Once and for all, to bring us to God. And he rose to new life as the Lord, as the Lord of this psalm, actually, the Lord of all things. He rose to new life to give new life to everyone who would turn to him so that we might live in his presence. See what's going on here? The great longing of this person as he looks forward in his despair, it actually has come. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of Christmas. The longing that this guy glimpsed, we look back on. But there's more to say, isn't there? There's more to say because we also look forward to. There's a, there's a sense in which we actually are in a similar position to this guy. Um, I was reminded this week how little I know about these things, but um, if, if you know much about the traditional church calendar, uh, you'll know that um, coming up, not quite yet, but next Sunday, from next Sunday, is the season of Advent. Um, and uh, traditionally, uh, the season of Advent, well, the word Advent means arrival. Um, and it's kind of this few weeks before, in the lead up to Christmas uh, where God's people especially reflect on the advent of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. It's, it's kind of this time of waiting, waiting and longing for Jesus. Um, and on one level, this is why it's sort of connected to, Jesus, uh, to Christmas, on one level it's a time of waiting, kind of putting ourselves into the position that we've done today. Understanding the expectation that Jesus came to fulfil, that time of waiting um, the fulfilment of God's saving plan. Un seeing why Christmas is such good news. Why it really is, it really is joy to the world. Why it's angels singing glory to the newborn king. Um, on one level, this time of Advent is that kind of getting ourselves into the, the longing for Jesus to come and seeing what he comes to fulfil. But the kingdom Jesus has set up well, it's real and it's growing and it's true, but it hasn't yet finished, reached its full completion. It's still growing. And we're, while we're in that period, um, what the Bible calls the last days, while we're in that period, the world is still groaning. You are still groaning. The world is still waiting. God's people are still waiting. Longing for his kingdom to come in all its fullness. And so there's a second kind of sense in which 
Advent helps us to long, not just to know what good news Christmas is, but to long for his appearing again, his second coming that is promised and guaranteed by his first coming, his coming to judge and to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. That's why Christmas can be this strange mixture for God's people, this strange mixture of lament and hope. That's why it can be a time of realistic joy, um, a time when you don't need to hide and pretend, a time that you can recognise that this world is groaning, that you are groaning, but also a time when you can cast yourself on God who remains faithful forever, when you can fix your hope on the certain future that Jesus will bring in when he returns to wipe away every tear, when he returns to bring in a new heaven and a new earth where we will live forever in the presence of God, where we will live face to face with our creator and our sustainer and our saviour. So as we go through the next few weeks, um, in the coming weeks, the the tone will shift a little. We are going to think about the joy that Christmas brings. But I want to urge you, as you go to Christmas this year, to make use of the opportunity um, to fire your longing. um, To fire your longing for Jesus and his return. Both so that you might know the good news of Christmas and rejoice in the reality that God has come in flesh, but also that you would have your life framed by those two comings, that you would have your longing sets for the day when he will return and make everything new. Let's pray together and pray. Oh God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the honesty and rawness of it. Um, Father, we pray for all of us who today especially are feeling the, are feeling the first half of this psalm. Um, but for all of us, Lord, we are all in this world bound to decay and sin. Um, and so we will all feel this and experience it on some level or another. Teach us, we pray, not to hide from that, Um, but to hear and receive the good news. The good news that you have come in Christ to do away with that and that you will return and make all things new. Make us long for your return, we pray. Uh, Make us filled with a deep and realistic joy, even in our pain, because we know you. And we pray that through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.